Okay, friends, it's festival and concert season, and you know it's all about the boots this year. That's why you need to make Tacova's your number one place for festival style this spring. And don't forget to shop their seasonal and limited edition offerings, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. We love Tacova's. They have a first wear comfort, which basically means there's no break in period. It's the best thing ever. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, and shop new styles. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personal. Personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's really no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store, though, just visit tecovas.com, T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hi everyone, welcome back to For the Girls. We definitely have a lot, a lot to talk about this week. Obviously, we didn't have a race last week, so we're catching up. Getting really excited for our Silverstone preview. Also going to be doing a deep dive on Lewis Hamilton, our resident British champion. And there's also obviously a lot of news that's been going on in the past few weeks. So with that, let's just jump right into it. I'm Chessa. I'm Sarah. And I'm Tiggy. So Silverstone, we are approaching the halfway point of the season with Silverstone being the 10th out of 22 races this year. And it's an exciting weekend because it's one of the most iconic and historic tracks on the calendar. And it's the first time ever that Mercedes has had two British drivers. So fans are going to be going wild. It's Hamilton and Russell's home race. It's also Lando Norris's home race. And Albon is part British as well. So he was born, he was born in the UK. So I think expect to see a lot of fans. Most teams are bringing some form of an upgrade package. Logistically, things are easier for teams with the off-week break, and a lot of teams are based out of the UK. The Red Bull factory at Milton Keynes is only like 15 minutes away. Just a hectic weekend in general at the track with so many support series. There's F2, F3, Porsche Super Cup, and W Series races this weekend, so expect a massive crowd from all over. Yeah, so just a lot of history at this track. It was originally built in 1942 as a perimeter road to a World War II Royal Air Force Station. And so, as we said, it made its debut in 1950, and it's the only Grand Prix to have never missed a year on the F1 calendar aside from the Italian Grand Prix. And as we've been saying, with all these circuits having to fight for their spot, that's a pretty amazing accomplishment. Yeah, 100%. And so some characteristics about the track, it's one of the fastest tracks on the schedule. Lewis at one point compared a flat out lap on Silverstone to flying a fighter jet, which is kind of funny. As usual, two DRS zones and our dearly beloved Max Verstappen holds the lap (laughs) record from 2020. So let's talk about what happened at Silverstone last year. It was an incredibly controversial controversial race. That was one of the defining moments of the Max and Lewis battle last year. So we had Lewis on podium, P1, then we had Charles, and then we had Bottas, P3. Basically what happened, this race was a crazy first lap. Max and Lewis were battling it out. They were wheel-to-wheel for mostly the first part of lap one. And then going into turn nine, listen guys, at over 180 miles an hour, Lewis dove on the inside to try to make a move. They made some contact, Max spun out, but then his wheel popped off and he had a very, very violent 51G crash. Um, It was really scary. The broadcast didn't play the radio, so that's when you know it's bad. They really didn't show any of the video footage. Um, 
and the radio cut out a lot from the force of the impact, but on the radio you can kind of hear the engineer asking if, if Max was okay, and Max was just groaning and couldn't speak. It was it was pretty horrifying. He couldn't get out of the car. People needed to help him to get out. He was brought to the hospital. Obviously, because of that, there was a red flag and a restart. So there was a 10-second penalty for Lewis just for this collision, which, in my opinion, isn't that much of a time penalty. So anyways, they held him at the pits, and he came out in P4. Then he had a clean pass past Norris, and then team orders to let him go through. He passed Botas. Then he hunted down Leclerc, passed him at the last lap for victory, and won the race. So this was definitely a huge turning point in the championship. Silverstone put Hamilton back in the championship fight. Red Bull went into Silverstone pretty dominantly leading both championships. Uh, And after this race where Hamilton won, Hamilton pulled to within eight points of max and Mercedes was then only four points behind Red Bull and constructors. So totally changed the momentum. So we want to just quickly touch on the controversy from last year. We're not going to relitigate it. There's tons of opinions on whether the crash was Max or Lewis's fault and also about Lewis's reaction after this really the championship took a super hostile turn after this between Red Bull and Mercedes. One of the big points of controversy was Lewis made a big celebration of the win. He left Park Firm to jump the barriers to run around and wave the flag and other stuff like that. And meanwhile, Max was still in the hospital getting examined. And so Max and Red Bull were furious. Max's statement on Instagram was pretty scathing. He called Lewis's celebration disrespectful and unsportsmanlike and said he was watching it from the hospital. His girlfriend, Kelly Piquet, chimed in too. And then, but it turns out later that Lewis called Max at some point after to see if he was okay after Lewis realized all this because Lewis later said he hadn't realized Max was in the hospital. And it seems like he might've gotten some false information from the team where he was told that Max was fine. And he had seen the footage of Max getting out of the car. Um, Yeah. So it seems like there might've been a bit of miscommunication, but that was definitely a turning point in the championship last year. Yeah, totally. And just an update on the controversy that has come to light in recent days. It just started getting pressed this week that after Silverstone last year, Nelson Piquet made some horrible statements about Lewis to Brazilian media. And a reminder on who Nelson Piquet is, he's a three-time world champion, Formula One, from Brazil, and he's the father of Kelly Piquet, Max's girlfriend. He used a racial slur multiple times against Lewis after Silverstone last year, and Lewis spoke out and said, this archaic mindset needs to change a lot. Mercedes and F1 both issued statements condemning the language, but Max and Kelly and Red Bull have been pretty quiet, have not said anything. I think that's pretty bad form, Um, but... Yeah. Yeah, totally. I really think they need to say something. And this is definitely something to watch out for this weekend because I'm sure every single driver will be asked about this in either just kind of casual press conferences or in the full official press conferences. So definitely watch out for that. It's horrible that Lewis has had to deal with all this for literally all of his career in racing and that seven world championships later, it's still happening to him. It's really horrible. Totally. So for this year's Silverstone race, what kind of racing can we expect? Keyword here is going to be fast. Drivers are very optimistic about the race this year, and they think that the track will allow the new car setups um, to really shine and, and make the racing a lot more close. The top speed is going to be approaching 215 miles per hour. Um, and apparently last year, uh, Tiggy's boyfriend, Signs apparently broke the record of top speed last year. So this is going to be really exciting as well. The track also has a lot of high-speed corners, and it's a particularly technical track with rapid direction changes. Also, another thing that's going to be really exciting is that Lando said the track is particularly suited to the strengths of the new cars, 
with good racing on the longer corners. So hopefully all the woes of the new car setups will be alleviated a little bit this weekend and we'll see some some cars start to shine. There's also going to be a lot of overtaking, overtaking opportunities on the Wellington Strait and at the Cops Corner where the Lewis Max fiasco went down in last year's race. And despite it being in the middle of the summer, the good old British weather will always makes um, for a chance of rain and interesting conditions. So a lot to look out for here. Red Bull going in strong, leading both championships just like they did last year, hoping for a better result than last year's race with obviously Max's DNF and Perez was also outside the top 10. It's definitely on their mind. Christian basically said they want redemption, so look for them to come in guns blazing. They are bringing an upgrade package. It's probably not a major one. Christian called it a modest evolution. Christian's tempering expectations a little bit, though. He said that Silverstone could be one of the most challenging races for Red Bull, and he said that he had kind of expected that Red Bull would be stronger than Ferrari in Baku and Montreal, but that Silverstone really might be more suited to the Ferrari car. So we'll we'll see what happens, but I feel like he's definitely tempering expectations a little bit. So Ferrari this weekend is bringing rear wing and floor upgrades, and this track should suit their car in the corners. And if they show a similar place to the last race, they'll be pretty competitive here, even on the straights. Christian pointed out that Ferrari was so strong in Barcelona and that he'll expect the same here. So we'll hopefully see a lot of good Ferrari, Red Bull, maybe even Mercedes battling. And Signs, our famous Signs, he's on the up and up. He said he's gained a lot of confidence in the car and he feels like he can push it to the limit without worrying about crashing. So I'm expecting a lot out of Signs this weekend. And I think we all are. Yeah, so Mercedes, huge track for them. We mentioned a little bit of this at the beginning, but Mercedes has won eight out of the last 10 races at Silverstone. Oh Lewis, my gosh. I know. Wow. Lewis alone has won here eight times, which is just insane. We'll talk a lot more about him at the end, but he'll be looking to win his fourth race in a row here. Um, Lewis won in 2020 despite his tire failing on the last lap. So strong track for Lewis. Mercedes planning to bring a relatively big upgrade. The team said that the changes will be visible, but did not give a lot of details. Said they're not adding side pods, though, which is funny. So sticking with that <laughs> that concept until into the grave they go. George believes that this track should suit them more. And the car is strongest on fast corners and smooth tracks like marble, Toto's ideal. Um, and Silverstone has both of these things. So it should be a little bit more like Barcelona where they seem to have made big steps forward and less like Montreal and Baku. And like we said, even Christian agrees, really expects Mercedes to bring their A game here since it's not very bumpy. And then Lewis also made some comments about Mercedes toning down their experimentation during practices. They have been doing a lot of that. And he joked that maybe George would start doing more of the experimenting in the second <laughs> half of the season. Um, the Their Sunday race pace has been one of their strengths. So if they can qualify well, we are expecting big things. And the crowd energy for them, just on a side note, will be next level McLaren 2012 was the last time there was a full British driver lineup on a team. And it's the first time ever that Mercedes has had two British drivers. So that's wild. I feel like the crowd energy is just going to be absolutely next level for them. For McLaren, it's also a home race for Lando. So I'm sure we'll also see lots of orange in the crowd. McLaren's coming off a no points finish in Canada. So lots to go after here. They are bringing upgrades after Lando just called the car bad. <laughs> um, but they said that this and none of their other future upgrade packages will be major. So they're just trying to focus on fixing setup and getting the most out of their current car. But fingers crossed for them. On the bright side, though, 
Zach emphasized that the team's relationship with Danny has, quote, never been better. So that's quite the turnaround. (laughs) This is a roller coaster of emotions. (laughs) I know. I wonder if Zach kind of accidentally made those off-the-cuff comments and immediately after was like, oops. (laughs) (laughs) And our comment last episode about what Danny would do in the U.S. after retirement and loving ranch life was on brand because after Canada, he went to hang in Montana at the national parks complete with horses and rodeos. Yeah, he looked like he was straight out of Yellowstone. Uh, It was so funny seeing those pictures. It actually did. I know. Aston Martin also said this week that Sebastian was going to stay for a few more years at least. So that's really exciting for him. Um, Meanwhile, on the other hand, Stroll said that he's still struggling with a lack of confidence for Alfa Romeo. Botas said recently that he considered quitting F1 both after his second year at Mercedes when he wasn't able to beat Lewis and also after he left Mercedes. So we're glad that he did it. And now he is truly living his best life. We hope to see a lot from Ibotas this weekend. I think you did great last year, so I think it'll be awesome for him this year as well. So Alpine, supposedly they are bringing a quote-unquote substantial upgrade package to Silverstone. I think sneakily they have done a lot of great work on the car since the beginning of the season, and they're hot off a big confidence boost from last race's quali. Alonso and Ocon hopefully continue to perform they are only eight points behind McLaren and the constructors, which would be interesting to see them take that fourth spot here. And Ocon said Mercedes is, quote unquote, next on the list of teams and drivers they want to go after, but they're not quite there yet. So not quite there. We agree, but love to see that hustle. Would love to see Alonso and Ocon in the mix at the top. So fingers crossed for them. So Haas praying for no reliability problems, really want this to be a mixed moment after he was running in P7 when his car failed in Montreal. So hopefully he, as we said time and time again, really needs to get it together and get his first points. And maybe this is the time for Williams. Not too much to say besides the fact that Latifi made some comments implying that he thought Alvin's car was better than his. (laughs) So... (laughs) That's what it is. That's (laughs) totally... (laughs) Um, and Alpha Tauri will get into this a little in news, but they are getting to keep Gasly, which is a huge win for them. And hopefully Yuki can bounce back from his Canada DNF. Yes, not breaking up the bromance there. I feel like Gasly and Yuki have a great relationship. So we were happy totally. to see that news. So getting into our hot takes. Mine, I was thinking of Hamilton on podium, but I'm just going to throw it out there. Hamilton P1, I think he's going to win his fourth in a row. Maybe I'm that's- here for that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Maybe that's just wishful thinking. And then a couple other ones I'll throw out there. I think Ferrari will outperform Red Bull in terms of points. And I think both Alpines will be in the points. I don't know if I'm going to go out on a limb and say Lewis victory, but I do see (laughs) Lewis in the fight with Max and Charles at the front. I do think something about the energy he's great at coming back from behind. And especially after the team seems a bit more optimistic this weekend and he has clearly just at home and has so much crowd support at this track. I see something happening with him. So I'm going to go with a Lewis, Max and Charles Mm. on podium. I'm also going to go with Mick in the points, which is less a prediction (laughs) or a hope, but we'll see. (laughs) I have been on, I have been on a roll recently. So maybe I am manifesting this for him. Yeah. Your hot takes have really panned out. So (laughs) I'm here for it. Okay. I'm going to be pretty definitive for my hot takes here. I'm saying Max P1. I know we're not going to love that. Signs P2 and then Checo and then also both Mercedes in the top six. And then we'll definitely see Lando in the points, maybe like stacked between the two Mercedes. That would be really exciting. So let's move on to the big headlines this week. There is going to be a lot to say here. First of all, 
Gasly was announced that he will be staying with AlphaTauri for 2023. This makes sense just because in our conversations we've had him in other episodes, there really just doesn't seem like there's any opportunity for him to move up, at least not this year. So his best bet is probably just trying to get Danny seat at the end of 2023 in McLaren. So he'll really have to hustle this year to show that he has what it takes to make it back to the top. So a couple other headlines this week besides Gasly, Jury Vips, the Red Bull junior driver, was suspended and then fired for using a racial slur on a video game stream. Why is this a trend? It's really frustrating. As of Tuesday, they've terminated his contract, which agreed. Good to see Red Bull taking immediate action on that one. But with their silence on Nelson PK, like, do they only speak when it suits them? Are they just doing the bare minimum? Would love to see a little bit more than lip service. But there was that. And then in some brighter news, some new cities are trying to get into the mix for races. Nice is lobbying for the French Grand Prix to get moved from Paul Ricard to Nice. So that would that would be awesome. A little I'm close here, to Monaco. I'm, I'm here <laughs> but, for that. Yeah, I guess it is a little too close to Monaco, but still. <laughs> yeah, but still would be incredible. And then the leadership of Madrid also sent F1 an official letter saying that they want a race. So I would love a Madrid race. I love Spain so much. I think that would be such a fun race. And Same. I'm very biased. I spent a semester in, in Madrid, but I think it's one of the most incredible cities and would be so well suited. In other news, the Goodwood Festival of Speed was last weekend. It's a huge annual motorsport event at a Duke and Duchess's estate in England. Mm. And so a ton of people, a ton of F1 affiliated people, including drivers attend and there's historic car shows and races and other sorts of appearances. And there's also a lot of debuts of new cars. So Aston Martin, McLaren, Ferrari, and Mercedes all debuted new road cars, including that F1-inspired Mercedes car we've mentioned, which looks absolutely speedy (laughs) at the low price of $3 million. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) And one one of the biggest news of the week was that ESPN got a big extension of its contract. And I have to throw some numbers in here because this was shocking to me. The Amazon bid was reportedly higher, but it seems that other considerations tipped it in ESPN's favor, which is really interesting because you always kind of assume that they'll go with the highest bidder. But I wonder if having it be on a major sports network just felt more like a better fit. But anyway, the deal is reportedly through 2025. And something that really shows how much F1 has blown up. Reportedly, under the old deal, ESPN paid about somewhere in the ballpark of $5 million a year for the rights. And the new deal is $75 million per year. What? At least. <laughs> at least. It's reportedly 75 to $90 million. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Okay, Formula One, go off. <laughs> Literally. And another thing that hopefully happens, very early stages, but Danny Rick is reportedly executive producing a scripted show on Hulu set in the F1 world. Oh, my gosh. Daniel, maybe he'll, maybe he'll act in it, too. <laughs> Women's health is so important and balanced hormones are key for that. We've been loving Hormone Harmony from Happy Mammoth, who's committed to making women's lives easier. Hormone Harmony contains adaptogens, science-backed herbal extracts that help the body adapt to stressors like hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. We love it because it helps us maintain optimal hormone levels and supports our mood and general well-being. There is a reason that one bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. For a limited time, you can get 15% off on your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use code 
F1RTheGirls at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code F1RTheGirls for 15% off today. We all need a little extra health booth sometimes, and Fleur Marche makes it easy for us to supercharge our wellness. Their botanical wellness patches have been such a fun addition to our routine. We just stick them on wherever we want. They have them for sleep, relaxation, focus, and other things. And the patch delivers ingredients to your body in a subtle but effective way, and the results last up to 12 hours. Fleur Marche also has botanical gummies and their new organic nutritional powder, Green Machine. They only use the best ingredients and are tested for potency, contaminants, and heavy metals before and after production. And one of our favorite things, we also love that the company is founded and inspired by women with the mission of helping us feel 100% every single day so that we can have full energy and crush it every day. Find your new wellness essentials at fleurmarche.com and get a special discount just for our listeners. Get 20% off your first order site-wide with promo code for the girls at checkout. Orders over $50 also get free shipping. Go to fleurmarche, F-L-E-U-R-M-A-R-C-H-E.com. Use code for the girls for 20% off your first order. So to get into our special segment, Sir Lewis Carl Davidson Hamilton, where (laughs) do we begin? As you all have probably picked up on, we have differing views on Lewis on this podcast, but a friend said to me recently that Lewis ascended into another universe long ago, and I have to say I concur. He is an icon. He's a god, whatever you want to call him. Who can match his racing record, the hill he's climbed, how much he's given back, and the swag with which he does it all? I dare say no one has ever come close to him in Formula One and arguably in any other sport, maybe save a couple of the all-time greats, but I love Lewis, as you probably know. <laughs> <laughs> I I totally agree. I could be a Lewis critic of some of this minor stuff, like not necessarily always being like a beacon of positivity on the radio or when he's not doing well. But that is super insubstantial compared to his accomplishments and the fact that he's totally just a goat of the sport on the level of Schumacher and Senna. And I think more so than them in kind of modern culture has just transcended beyond F1 to be, as Tiggy was saying, kind of one of the greatest sportsmen of his generation. And he's such a pioneer for diversity on the sport. And it's super admirable that he used this platform for good and to promote causes that he's passionate about. And he's such a leader on the grid in so many ways and has taken on so many additional responsibilities and burdens to be this kind of ambassador for the sport. So it's incredible that he's able to do that and simultaneously win the world championship seven times. Crazy. I feel like we all get kind of used to saying that, but like plenty of the grid has never won a race and he's won the world title seven times. Yeah, that is such a good point. I will add here that when I was like 11 years old and living in the UK, Lewis was an icon or it was like his first year. And then I moved to America and we were obsessed. So we were kept, we kept watching him all throughout his first year. Obviously he had an amazing rookie year. And then when we saw him in the street in New York City, literally no one knew who he was. Like, he was just walking around Times Square. No one was bothering him. And we were, like, chasing him, and we were so jazzed. Everyone was so confused. But I feel like Lewis probably wouldn't even go near Times Square nowadays. But if he did, it would probably be a match. 
Yeah. So in honor of his home race, we wanted to pay him his due, go through his backstory, his highlights, his life, philanthropy, activism outside the sport, his impeccable street style, of course, the love of his life, Roscoe. What would we give (laughs) to be that dog? I don't know, but a lot. (laughs) I wonder if that dog knows how good he has it. Like when he's driving around (laughs) England in this vintage convertible next to Lewis Hamilton, he doesn't even realize. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Ignorance is bliss, I guess. (laughs) So Lewis was born in Stevenage, a town like 30 miles north of London. Um, His dad was his dad occasionally worked up to four different jobs at a time to support Lewis's racing career, which that's so hard. And that's amazing that he was so supportive of his son at the time. That's wonderful. So because of that, Lewis was able to start karting at the age of eight and he became the youngest driver to win the British Cadet Karting Championship at only 10 years old. That's insane. I have no idea what I was doing when I was 10. And as we've discussed before, a lot of the current drivers on the grid either had wealthy parents who supported them or they had fathers who were race car drivers in some form. So it's amazing that Lewis was able to break into the sport without that and as the first and only black driver so far. So Lewis started racing in F1 with McLaren in 2007, but as I'm sure you all know, the main attraction has been his time with Mercedes since 2013, in which he's really become the face of the sport and of the Mercedes domination in the turbo hybrid era, which lasted from 2014 through last year, which was kind of the start of the current (laughs) Mercedes issues. But we really have to emphasize that from 2014 onwards, Mercedes most of the time just was absolutely unstoppable. Totally. And- As everyone knows, he's one of the most polarizing drivers on the grid, which fame will do to someone. People absolutely love him or cannot stand him. He's sort of a Tom Brady-esque figure. But regardless of where you stand on him, here are some hashtag facts. He is 37 and still performing at the very top of the sport. Like we said, seven-time world champion, tied for most ever with Michael Schumacher and fighting to break that record, which I hope he does. He won his first world title in only his second season in 2008. King move. Like, imagine that happening with, I don't know, one of the drivers today. Like, if Joe next year just starts winning championships. (laughs) And he will will mention this a little bit more, but in his rookie season, he only lost the championship by a point. Wow. Just wow. Yeah, we'll get into his backstory in his younger years, but just insane. Yeah, and and – Because of that second season in 2008, he was the then youngest world champion when he won his first, and Vettel broke that record in 2010. But in an interesting turn of events, if he wins another after this year, he could also become the oldest to ever win a world championship. So Alan Prost currently holds that record winning at 38 years old. So if Hamilton hits 38 and starts winning again, we'll see. And to hit some quick records, these are literally only just a sampling because there's so many, (laughs) but he has the most ever wins of a Formula One driver with 103, most ever pole positions of a Formula One driver also with 103, most podium finishes ever at 184, and again, just many more. He is the first and so far only black Formula One driver. He's one of the most charitable people in the world. He's ranked fifth in Britain in terms of the amount of income that he donates, And as we mentioned, he's super vocal about causes he believes in and standing up for the underrepresented and is a huge pioneer for increasing diversity in motorsport. He was one of Time's 100 most influential people in 2020, which I think is 
very accurate. And he was <laughs> knighted by the Queen of England in 2021, thus the Sir Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> yes, Sir. I didn't realize he had all these other names as well. Sir Lewis Carl Davidson Hamilton. <laughs> Good for it him. Sounds, it sounds regal <laughs> as it should. <laughs> as it should. So let's go through some of his Formula One career highlights. So from 2007 to 2012, he was with McLaren. He joined McLaren in 2007, raced alongside Alonso, and unsurprisingly, like we said, had one of the best rookie seasons ever. He got four wins as a rookie and only lost the championship to Raikkonen by one point. And he beat Alonso for the season, and that alone is a pretty wild feat because we've all seen how feisty Alonso is. But also, unsurprisingly, they had quite a bit of a feud, and Alonso left the team at the end of the season. In one race in 2007, Hamilton ignored team orders to give Alonso track position during quali, and Alonso responded by blocking Hamilton in the pit lane so he couldn't do a final flying lap. <laughs> I feel like we don't really have this level of no. teammate animosity right now. Like, there's no, there's no driver pairings on the grid right now that would do this, I don't think. No. Crazy, the head of McLaren reportedly said that he and Alonso were not on speaking terms. He as in the head of McLaren. So Alonso <laughs> was not speaking with the team head, which is insane. <laughs> if there's anyone on the grid I can imagine doing that, it is Alonso. Yeah, true. <laughs> so then, as we said, he won the world title with McLaren in 2008 at age 23 by one point in a very dramatic season, which basically international, basically immediately made him an international star. He won the championship through an overtake on the last corner of the last lap in the last race. And this wow. included his amazing rain victory at Silverstone, which we'll talk about, and also a win at Monaco, even though he hit the barriers. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to repeat with McLaren because they were on the struggle bus with their car. So <laughs> a tiny bit reminiscent of today. They were also on the struggle bus generally. This is a story for another time, but they were fined $100 million in 2007, like a record level fine for technical spying. So <laughs> kind of like the Watergate of Formula One. Oof. And Lewis also kind of makes sense. A lot of these young drivers before they mature can be a little a little spicy, but he ended himself in some hot, ended up in some hot water during some of these tough McLaren years with some controversies, lots of trips to the stewards. He had several Twitter fights with his teammate, Jensen Button at the time, which is, <laughs> he's so classy and chill now. It's really hard to imagine. Yeah. I feel like with Alonso and Vettel, it's kind of similar. Like they were both not liked drivers and they were very feisty. And now they're sort of like the old dads on the grid. Um, totally. But then, drumroll, the Mercedes move. So 2013 onwards to today, it's Mercedes and the Lewis we all know and love. Schumacher was retiring and Lewis took his seat with a three-year deal to race alongside Nico Rosberg. And it's hard to imagine this now, but this was actually considered a pretty rogue move at the time. It was kind of like Danny going to Renault level rogue, which is wild. <laughs> McLaren was in a rough patch, but was one of the most historic and winning teams. And Mercedes, on the other hand, was basically a new team after re-entering in 2010 and had only won one race. Autosport magazine at the time said that Hamilton rolled the dice on a perennially underachieving team delivering. But like all good gambles, if it pays off, he wins big and did it ever. Because I think Toto joined the team around the same time, just starting this duo of total world domination. <laughs> totally. So the 2013 season wasn't great, but then 2014 marked the start of the new turbo hybrid era when the Merc car just 
wiped away the competition basically <laughs> until the advent of the new car this year. Lewis won the championship every year from 2014 to 2020, with the exception of 2016 when Rosberg beat him. We'll get into that. Rosberg won the 2016 title and then just peaced out and retired, and Botas joined. So Mercedes won both the Drivers' Championship and the Constructors' Championship every single year from 2014 to 2020, which is just what? hard to even fathom. In 2018, Vettel and Ferrari gave Lewis a bit of his bit of a run for his money for the championship. But in a lot of those seasons, it was borderline uncontested. Like in 2019, Lewis beat Botas by, I think, almost 100 points in the driver's <laughs> championship. And then in 2020, he did actually beat Botas by over 100 points in the championship. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Lewis's 2016, 2016 season was definitely spicy, maximum spiciness. Uh, Rosberg beat Lewis by only five points in the championship, and they had a full-on feud. It was basically the Max versus Lewis level, if not worse. There was so much hostility, but they were on the same team, so that made it definitely way worse. Lewis would never even really refer to Rosberg by name in interviews, and even before the season, it apparently got so bad that they wouldn't say hello to each other. Can you imagine that? That's wild. We look back at, like, videos all the time on Instagram of all the different drivers who compete, kind of, like, messing around and, and doing Twitch and all of this stuff. But can you imagine them back in the day, Lewis and Rosberg never even talking? This kind of feud only got heightened when they crashed on lap one of the Spanish Grand Prix, and Nikki Lauda said that Mercedes and Toto threatened to fire them both, which is insane. Mercedes had to literally make rules of engagement with financial penalties to make sure that they didn't wreck each other. So, definitely a very spicy rivalry there. And then 2021 championship, as we all have talked about and are aware of at Abu Dhabi, the controversy there, not going to get into who should have won and all of that. But my main comment around Lewis here is regardless of who deserved that championship, I think a lot of athletes of his stature across other sports would have basically just said, screw you to the FIA and walked away. But Lewis did not. The character that he has and the man he is, he rose above Took a few months of social media hiatus, but came back ready to fight, even if it's sort of been in the midfield. Just overall, I think it speaks a lot to his character and, you know, standing up for himself and moving on even when things seem unfair and, quite frankly, were unfair. So good for him. Definitely. So to get into a bit of his racing style, why is he so good? He has said that he changes his driving style every year to adapt to the car, and he places a really big emphasis on adaptability, which makes sense why he's able to repeat just constantly winning. Um, and while he's also had the most pole positions of any driver, he really hasn't cruised to victory in all his races. It's been a battle and required an insane amount of wheel-to-wheel -wheel prowess, impeccable tire management, sheer speed, and absolute precision. And for all the Bono, my tires are shot jokes. <laughs> he does manage to pull off some crazy just kind of tire and car management feats. He is also godlike in rain conditions, which <laughs> tends to really level the playing field and reduces car advantages. So for people on the kind of car versus driver debate, this is where you can really see Hamilton's driving shine because the advantages of the car are kind of equalized out so much. Yeah, and three main strengths I feel like for him. One, his braking skills and his braking technique. I think Hamilton, like Schumacher, is fantastic at braking late and hard without locking up, but allowing him to navigate corners perfectly, really push the car to the limit on those corners. So that really helps him, I think, with overtaking as well. 
Another thing, just his precision and pushing the car to its grip limit, regardless of track surface. So that gets a little bit into the adaptability there. But yeah, he sort of has this Jedi ability to assess conditions and predict the amount of grip available to him at any given time, regardless of the surface, which is amazing. And it's amazing considering the fact that he's often in the lead, which he's not following a car where he can kind of see the braking zone, see if they yeah. have any grip issues. Like it's obviously hard to follow because you're in dirty air, but it does give you kind of more information. And especially in tough conditions when you're out in front, you have kind of no idea how dry the line is, what the what where the braking point's going to be. So just kind of makes it even more impressive. Yeah, 100%. That's such a great point. And then people talk a lot about his racing line as well being a little bit more square, which is interesting. And one thing that George said is that Lewis is really in the weeds in the technical stuff, which is awesome. And like we said, he can be critical of the team on the radio, shout out to Bono, but always keeps it positive off track and after races. So besides the technical abilities he has, I feel like he's generally a really good sportsmanship um, representative. So This is hard to pick out a couple of his best races ever to mention because there's literally so many. He has over 100 wins. Like, how are we even supposed (laughs) to pick any? But we wanted to give a quick shout out to just a few. So Silverstone 2008 is often mentioned as one of his really famous victories. It was an insane rain race with a lot of top drivers making big mistakes. Hamilton started in fourth but picked off a Ferrari, a Red Bull, and a McLaren within five laps to take the lead. And this is what's really crazy. He finished over a minute, 68 seconds ahead of P2, which still stands as the largest winning margin in an F1 race in the last 25 (laughs) years. And on top of that, the two cars behind him in P2 and P3 finished on the same lap, but every other car finished a full lap behind him. Like he had to lap (laughs) the entire field. (laughs) And like we said, Silverstone is one of the longest tracks. That is a long lap. (laughs) (laughs) And so McLaren at one point even asked him to slow down. And he was like, if I go any slower, I'll lose concentration. (laughs) God status. Yeah. So Monaco 2019 is another one we wanted to shout out. So there was a safety car caused by Leclerc. Red Bull went out on hard tires and Mercedes went out on mediums, which was a, a strategic blunder from them, I think. And it just gave Lewis a mountain to climb. He had to do about 67 laps on the softer compounds versus Red Bull on the hards, but he defended like his life depended on it. And that was against Verstappen who was on his tail for over 60 laps. And we know how good Verstappen is. Like he, if he's, if anyone's going to hunt down Lewis, it's going to be Verstappen, but Hamilton managed to defend for the entire race, won it and called it the hardest race he has ever done which is pretty wild. And you all may remember this from last year, but Brazil 2021, I think one of just his most iconic races in recent memory. He started the sprint dead last on the grid due to a technical issue with his rear wing. And Mercedes had been kind of really upset about how the FAI was handling it. So already just a tough mindset going into it. And he needed a good performance because it was 19 points behind Max in the championship at this point. He clawed his way in classic Lewis fashion, fighting through the field to P5 in the sprint. But then he had to take a five-place grid penalty um, due to using his fifth internal combustion engine. So he started P10 in the race. And then he picked off everyone one by one. And it culminated in an amazing pass of Verstappen to win the race. So overall, he had 25 overtakes over the course of one weekend between the sprint and (laughs) the race. That probably honestly is a decent percentage of the overtakes of an entire season. Truly. yeah, he said, quote, this has definitely been probably one of my best week, one of the best weekends, if not the best weekend I've experienced in probably my whole career. 
Wow. And we don't have time to get into them. We could do like literally three more episodes on this, but other mentions to Turkey 2020 when Hamilton matched Schumacher's record, Monza 2018. There's just so many. So many. So let's talk a little bit about his life outside the sport. He spends a lot of time with his family and friends in London, but he also loves New York and spends a decent amount of time here, which we love to see. He is one of the only single drivers, at least reportedly. He dated Nicole Scherzinger, the lead singer of the Pussycat Dolls, on and off from about 2008 to 2015, but has not publicly had a serious relationship since then. He has been linked at various points to Rihanna, Rita Ora, several models, but nothing confirmed. He is a health guru, very outspoken about being vegan, definitely meditates a lot, and could imagine him going on lots of those silent health and wellness meditation retreats. He, he seems very in touch with himself and, and his body and the world. Um, and like we mentioned, a lot of activism and doing a ton for the sport in terms of you know, promoting diversity and inclusion across all aspects of of Formula One and motorsport and just in the world in general. So I think that could probably be a whole other episode on everything he has done on that front. But yeah, incredible work from him and setting a real example. Okay, last thing about Lewis that we would be remiss not to mention. As we all know, he has the best track style by far. It's not even close or any sort of contest compared to Max's polo shirts and everyone else just, like, trying to keep up. Everyone else just shows up in dad clothes, and Lewis is, like, in full Versace, as we've seen, and we commented a lot on the Instagram. Lewis has even attended the Met Gala several times. He's a regular at fashion shows with top houses and other fashion events. He works with Zendaya's stylist. He sat next to Zendaya at a fashion show. That was definitely a big deal. Um, so definitely keep an eye on him in this space and obviously all of the other spaces we've mentioned after he retires. And we're excited to see what he does in F1 and beyond. So thanks, everyone, for listening to Silverstone Preview and Lewis Deep Dive. We're so excited for the weekend. We hope you all have the best time watching with your friends. And we will be back with you next week for a recap. Thank you.